Hey, welcome Exponential. This is Peyton Jones and you are tuning in to The Frontline Show. I am absent my co-host, the ever brilliant Daniel Yang. He makes this thing look good. Uh, I don't know what I make it look like, nerdy? I got all my nerdy stuff back here, but I've got really cool guests with me today. I have Romy and Brianna Wilkerson who represent the Underground Network and uh, it, it's wonderful to have you guys on here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having, having us. Yeah, we. I, I was telling you before this, and I want to just say this. We got so many people responding to today saying, I love those two. They're some of the best leaders I've ever, ever seen, ever known. And these are people I respect online. So I am super excited. You, we've never met each other before, but uh, I can't wait to hear a little bit about what you guys are doing. Tell our listeners, um, first off, a little bit about the underground and how it works, what it is, uh, what its superpowers are? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like talking about the underground is always really tricky because I feel like the second you like open up one can of worms, like the, the, the questions inevitably follow how everything works. But uh, as best as I can to describe it succinctly, I guess, the, the, the tricky part about talking about the underground is that it actually is two things. So on one hand, it is a decentralized network of these small worshiping communities that are on mission uh, to a particular demographic, a particular place in the city or something. Uh, and, and so you have maybe a hundred of those in our city in Tampa alone. But then the second you have any sort of uh, a number of those, they all have different needs. They all have maybe the same needs to a certain extent, but just a little bit different from each other that maybe being a small community, they can't do. And so the flip side of the underground is that it is also a nonprofit 501c3 uh, registered with the state of Florida that exists to serve those small communities of uh, believers on mission. And so that's our departments. That's our staff. That's what I currently uh, co-direct with Lucas Foley, who's on sabbatical. Um, and that's the underground in a weird sort of nutshell. Very cool. Brianna, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when we, we both joined, uh, I guess joined, I didn't care really join the underground, but like we both were a part of the underground in college and in university, which was a part of it at that time. And I think, what stood out to us the most, I was a Christian from young and told me had just become a Christian was just how much this community was centered around Jesus and his word and like really wanting to live that out um, together in community and on mission. And so I think that's what makes this really unique. It's so it's calling based. It's really about what God's calling you to. And it's been a privilege from this side coming back here to Tampa to serve those leaders um, from the nonprofit side. So yeah, it's twofold, but I think both, we've been a part of both sides of it and we love it. Yeah. And on the more organic side of things, we both co-lead a house church mm -hmm. that's for um, young adults kind of in the throes of transition, trying to be faithful to Jesus and missional life. Um, yeah. And so they're trying to figure it out and we kind of go through life together as a, as a community. So that's one thing. And, you know, in our own kind of personal missional sphere, we're just trying to be, at least for me, really intentional with the people at my gym, trying to be salt and light there. And yeah, what does the kingdom look like in this place among mm -hmm. young, healthy, fit people who are relatively well to do, well enough to be able to afford a membership, uh, but also trying to remind them that fitness is a terrible God and you will okay. eventually die. And so, uh, yeah, where is, what does Jesus have to say about all this? Yeah. So, that's, that's great. You know, my fitness God died and either that or I failed my fitness God. But yes, it turned no. out to be not a very covenantal relationship at all. But <laughs> I, I was going to say, um, tell, tell us a little bit about each of you, because I, I'm fascinated. Uh, it sounds like, Brianna, what you were saying, that you actually, were you part of that early group of the underground? Oh, I guess we were like second generation, you know, so when they had already started the underground about a few years, like officially in, okay. that's when we joined. Yeah. So you guys are like in that video where like, you've got like the, the leadership lessons from drunk dancing guy, you guys were like dancing, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the first followers, you were, okay, I think we're going to, we're going to lend credibility to this thing. Yeah. So very cool. So tell us a little bit about each of you. Let us get to know who you are a little bit. 
Yeah. So um, I'm originally from the Cayman Islands in the Caribbean. So I grew up there, went to school. Um, I came to university here, University of Tampa, uh, I mean, 13 years ago. And I was, again, I was a Christian at the time, but Jesus wasn't Lord of my life. So I just was doing what everyone else went, you know, going to school and all that until I joined in a varsity and was, which at that time was a part of the underground. And um, just Jesus wrecked my life. Like he, he really asked me the question, like, okay, I'm your savior, but will you actually make me Lord? And I said, well, maybe. <laughs> and then, you know, he's, he's faithful in pursuing us. And I think when I really encountered the love of God, because Cayman's a culturally Christian nation. So encountered the love of God among a bunch of college students, which I, you won't find that particularly in, you know, in, a, in, in Caribbean, right? A lot of younger people on fire for God. I just said, there's something to this, to this God. There's something to this one who I say I follow. And so from that moment that Jesus just became Lord, I just was, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily, I don't think I'm gifted with the gift of evangelism, but I just was like, everyone needs to know about this love. And so, you know, from that point on, I just was like, I'm a leader, whatever, whatever you want me to lead, I'll lead. So I started multiple things like international Bible study, business Bible study, a women's group, just which all of those things I am and was a part of. Um, I think for me, I'm more apostolic shepherd where I create things that care for people. So I didn't see any group or thing caring for those people at the time. And so from that point on, yeah, I've just done stuff like that ever since. Um, I had, we had to move back to the Cayman Islands once we got married for my accounting job, but that's where we felt the Lord leading us to start a um, in a varsity IFES movement there. So that's what we were doing there for six years. And I was volunteering while Tommy um, was full-time, but Again, I think calling is, you know, Brian talked about this yesterday on his podcast, but calling is a fluid thing. And so I really felt the Lord saying, I want you to start health and wellness business for women and just share your story and the word that the way that I healed you in those areas. And so I've kind of been doing that on the side ever since. And um, yes, yeah, supporting whatever, wherever God's calling us in regards to ministry. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm a new mom. I have an eight month old little baby girl, um, keeps our hands full. Uh, yeah. And I serve with the underground in multiple ways. So very cool. And we were talking about the child. So yeah. that's your version of the child. Of course, yeah. mine's much younger. a little more but... hair, though, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but just as cute and, I don't know, in her own way, has her, her Jedi mind tricks yes. to get you she to does. do exactly what she wants you to do. I sense the force was strong with this one. It is. It, it is, is very. It is. So, very. Tommy, tell us a little bit about you, brother. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm originally from California, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and so whenever people talk about Tampa Bay area, I, it throws me off every single time. But um, the way that our sports teams are looking, man, we're looking a lot like the Bay Area. So <laughs> I can't I can't hate too much. But grew up in California, transferred to the University of Tampa as a junior in college, uh, was not a Christian at the time. Uh, and Jesus was kind of on the radar, but um, not not a whole lot. And so then I got invited to a Bible study with varsity. And I said, you know what? Sure. Why not? I'll give it a shot. I'll check it out. And the strangest group of Christians I'd ever met in my <laughs> whole life, uh, just because I was so used to encountering Christians that were judgmental, that kind of had it all together, that knew it, that knew what was right. And kind of, you know, because of that could like look at you in some sort of way and pass judgment on you. And this group of university people, they were the first group of people I'd ever met as Christians who said, you know, we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. We're just trying to figure it out just like everyone else. Uh, and as odd as I was, uh, as rough around the edges as I was, there was no judgment. They accepted me for who I am. And that really gave space for me to look at Jesus and see this person who was for the outcasts and for the misfits and for the people who didn't quite fit into uh, maybe quote unquote uh, traditional religious life. And I felt like that this person, I, this Jesus person is amazing. And if he's so amazing, why are Christians the way that they are? Like, I, I don't get it. It felt like this weird breakdown, but uh, anyway, that first semester as a junior uh, at the university of Tampa gave my life to Jesus and yeah, just everything changed. Like I, I was going to school to be a writer, to do music, all sorts of stuff. And watching my friends come to know Jesus and watching him work in their lives. I just said, this is where I need to be for a, a significant chunk of my life, just on campus with students, watching Jesus at work in them. 
and so went on staff with InterVarsity, was on staff with them for maybe about eight years. So half a year and a half of that was in Tampa. About six years of that was in the Cayman Islands where we were starting that student ministry, as my wife talked about. Um, and yeah, got connected with the underground as soon as I got plugged in with InterVarsity. And once again, extremely strange group of people. Um <laughs> Because it wasn't like your traditional church that was meeting in a, a cathedral or a sanctuary or whatever. It was like an old furniture store. And they had like painted the floors black. And there was like, you know, vinyl on the walls that said no spectators and all these different languages. And just the, the way that people were so vulnerable with their story. Everyone was very much in tune with the fact that they were sinners saved by grace and that the only reason why they were doing the things that they were doing is because Jesus had called them by name. Uh, and because of the, the work that he had done in them, they would spend their whole lives on him, uh, wherever he called them to, whatever it looked like. And yeah, through the underground and through these leaders, I learned how to, what it meant to worship and to really wrestle with the Lordship of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so InterVarsity and, and the underground, just a, a wonderful combination of discipleship for me. And uh, yeah, and so that's that's me. I mean, yeah, I'm that's not great. Else. No, I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that really comes out is you guys share about that. And I think something really important uh, to know about the underground is it did have its roots in InterVarsity. And InterVarsity is, um, it activates students. And I think one of the keys to underground and, and I'm going to say this, and I think you can understand, um, you'll definitely resonate. I think the people listening will, will understand. Um, the underground is careful. As much as Brian Sanders, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite guys to read, the guys in Mega Brain reads like 400 books a year. Um, but the underground is really careful not to make it like Brian Sanders' movement. His book, Underground, is really about gift activation Mm -hmm. of the average believer. And so I, I love even the posture and stance that, that you guys take because you've mentioned about InterVarsity. And I know part of your story was uh, with that initial team, and it sounds like you guys as well, that you couldn't just switch that off. It was like you went to church. It didn't make sense. Why are we just sitting here looking, you know, listening to one person? Why are we, why are we spectators? Why are we not busy? Um, tell us a little bit about how the underground works in regards to gift activation, empowering every believer to use their gifts. Yes. I mean, the underground is actually, I, because it's so baked into the culture at this point, the underground could actually be a really hard place to be if you don't know what you're called to. So that's like something that we're constantly having to wrestle with as we're journeying with leaders through their own transitions. Um, but I mean, part of it is just the, the culture of asking that question of like, all right, who are you called to? And really challenging people to, to hear from Christ Jesus. Not like we are telling you that you should go out and do this kind of ministry, or we want you to sign up for this kind of thing. But no, you, you are someone who has the Holy Spirit placed inside of you. There's a relationship that God has built with you. So what is God saying to you? Uh, and so we've we've tried to, as best as we can, uh, not command and control, but to influence and guide through whether that's one on one conversations. Um, I know the Calling Lab is a resource that if people are familiar with the underground, they might be familiar with the Calling Lab, which is, you know, just our best attempt to, like, take the raw data of our lives and say, OK, well, you know, this is kind of my my personality. This is what I've seen uh, when I've done some sort of ministry, like the the role that I play in the the church. This is some of the the experiences that I've had. Uh, these are what people would say about me. And trying to use that as data points to figure out, okay, is there something here? Can I, if I pray through this and really sit with Jesus? Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's what it's about: is hearing from Christ Jesus. Uh, yeah, what is it that I'm called to? And so trying our best to give people that space to, to hear that and as best as we can say, go do that thing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you- Yeah, I think we're living in a generation, I think Gallup recently, I mean, a few years ago did a study where, you know, my parents' generation, you know, or even my grandparents, like they were very content with what one thing that they were doing through their whole life. They were very faithful, but our generation, um, I think people call it like the gig or side side hustle generation, like, 
we people want to know also what they're called to like people want to like know that they have a purpose you're christian or not and so when we bring that element of calling i think people are a little bit more open to it but with that i think one thing i love that the uh, you know we try to do and i think the leaders before us tried to do is really challenge people on how that looks. I think we have a certain way, if we feel like called to reach women, we have a certain way that we think that needs to be done. When we really say we need to sit at the foot of Jesus, feet of Jesus and say, look, how does he want you to do it? It's gonna might be totally crazy. Like we have a single mom who loves reaching single moms. And if we were to tell you all the ways she does that, it is like crazy. But it's she's faithful and she knows for sure she's called to that. So I think the biggest Thing, if someone's thinking about like, I want to activate, um, I want to get, get activated myself, or I want to activate others in my, in my area of influence is really just as told me, like, sit down and have a conversation with someone who knows you well, or even with Jesus and just like talk through it. I think we're so used to like the calling lab is a great resource, but we're so used to programming like going through a program. But I mean, if you can just talk things out, get a mentor, get a coach journal, or even just sit with Jesus and talk like, you can slowly uncover and allow that process to be slower, I think, because I think we just want to know now. We just want to know now. Jesus, tell me now. <laughs> it's so funny because what what what's on the label today is microchurch. And of right. course, you know, we haven't even mentioned microchurch yet. Right. And our chats already lighten up with practical steps of, of microchurch. Right. People are dropping in their questions. Be sure to drop your questions and we're going to get to them. Right. But what I want to do is really kind of step back and talk about microchurch because I think a lot of people have misconceptions. Brian really kind of popularized that term, I think, uh, for us, for, for the average believer out there that's using it. But I still think there's a lot of misunderstanding. People are still thinking of microchurch as like a church model and not really not really cluing into the fact that what we started talking out today was gift activation, that microchurch at the its core DNA is being activated in your gifts. So can you define for us, what is a microchurch and what are some of the biggest misunderstandings that you notice as working with people to help start microchurches? What are some of the biggest misunderstandings you guys have noticed uh, that's out there about microchurch? Yeah. So, I mean, we uh, actually just recently launched a, a podcast for people trying to do microchurch stuff called Microchurches. Um, yeah, just because we felt like, yeah, this is a conversation that we're having and we want to, as best as we can, help people in that journey. And so kind of the first episode that we have was wrestling with that question of like, well, what is a microchurch? And so for us, you know, when you look at the church and all its bells and whistles and all the things that we normally associate with church, it's like, well, what actually is it? If you were to take away buildings, budgets, mm -hmm. you know, leadership, websites, business cards, all the things that we normally associate with churches that are good, that are important in their own right, but maybe aren't necessarily necessary to be the church, what is the church at its essence? And so, you know, essentially it boils down to us for to three things. It, it's worship. It's that uh, vertical understanding that Jesus is Lord. And so not like musical worship, but Jesus, you're Lord. I'm listening to your voice and I'm, and I'm learning to obey what you have to say to me. It, it's community. It's in the, the life of other believers and being rallied around a mission. So not just like we like each other and we have everything in common, but it's accountable life. It's, you know, organized around a mission. And so there's that part, that third element of mission that is, you know, the part of, of the world or the, the unbelieving world that needs to be fixed. It's, it's sharing the gospel. It's gospel witness. It's uh, fighting some sort of evil in some, in some way. And so for us, where we see the convergence of those three things, we say, that's essentially the church. Like, that's what it means to be the church. And, and really, maybe the, the term micro um, that we, we've kind of added to the front of that is because maybe, I don't know, there's so many stigmas that come with saying this is a church. You think it has to be building. You think it has to be a certain amount of people. And yet, what if the church is actually naturally small? And what if, to a certain extent, it might even be best when it's small? I'm not saying that it is, but what if? And kind of pondering that question. And so for us, very simply, uh, the microchurch is uh, a worshiping community on mission 
for Jesus, but it's like called with a purpose, right? So like when we talk about the ecclesia and the called out ones and understanding that that's not even necessarily a religious term, but a civic term, uh, a committee that's been called out for a purpose that to bless the wider society. Uh, microchurches understand that, okay, I, I don't exist for myself. We don't just exist to make ourselves feel good, but we exist mm. for the wider uh, serving of, of the community. Mm. And so maybe the, the, the biggest misconception that we, we see with that at times can be what that looks like. And even the, the one, what microchurches can look like, but then two, all the things that microchurches can do. So at times people will ask the underground about our story or about what microchurches do. And if we share any one story, like we're always really cautious to include another one because people will, will want to converge on that model and say, okay, all microchurches do this. They all get together, have dinner, have a Bible study, have some sort of I will statement, and then come back together the next week and, and meet. And that's not true. Uh, so it's very contextualized to the people groups. So um, some of them, it can look like a, a home-based uh, group. It can look like women on a Friday night who go to strip clubs and offer women a way out of their life uh, and housing and intentional community to understand Jesus loves them where they are right now and loves them so much that he has more for them. It can look like uh, a man doing addiction ministry or a, mm -hmm. a guys who live in a house who say, man, we don't have money or resources, but what we do have is we have a couch and we have a shower and a washing machine and our door is always unlocked so that the poor of our city can wash their clothes, take a shower. And if they need a place to sleep, they can sleep on our porch. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's also something that that's mm -hmm. possible. So I mean, I would say that's that's kind of what we've what we've seen, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, going back to what is a microchurch, I think how we typically um, describe it, like the mission community and worship, that's what we would call our ecclesial minimum. And we're not saying that that needs to be everyone's. You know, when we do movement school, or when our team does movement school, they will say, you need to figure that out for your network, what that ecclesial mm -hmm. minimum is. Um, but at the basic core, like that's actually what the church is. If you want to add something else, okay, but try, try to keep those three. Um, I think the biggest misconception is, I see is that we, when people are thinking that we still need Sunday. And I think Sunday is important. We still gather on Sunday, but I think it's how we view Sunday. Um, but because with that, we don't want to, you know, say, go start your microchurch, but you have to come on Sunday. Like, because this is the thing we all need to come to. I think how we've viewed Sunday is if that's a space for our leaders of these microchurches to come together, to be equipped, to pray for one another, be encouraged, be challenged, so they can continue to be the church from Monday to Saturday or Sunday evening, right? So I think that's just the biggest thing that I see that people have a misconception is the, you know, Sunday's still important, but then we're going to say, you need to do some other stuff throughout the week, when really what the stuff throughout the week is probably the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> it's funny because uh, when I was a missionary overseas in Europe, the Sunday service really, it, right. it, you know, didn't, didn't matter. It was more important to do things. And so we have these things called communities of grace mm -hmm. and, and the unifier. And this is what I'm hearing about microchurch. The unifier, the thing we all had in common was mission. So every other week we'd have Xbox tournaments and one more students got led to Christ through those stupid Xbox tournaments, because every other week there's a Bible study and they'd be like, hey, what, what about next week? No, next week we have a Bible study. Yeah, Bible study. Yeah, the guy that just kicked your butt in Halo, he's gonna be teaching next week. Yeah. And then we had one that was like cooking classes for uh, single moms on the dole. We had, cause we had two chefs and they're like, hey, these this is what we can bring. We can bring these gifts to the table. We had a film club, right? Yeah. The, the whole church started in a, in a Barnes and Noble, uh, actually it's Borders books, uh, reading Da Vinci Code, 50 Europeans gathered around just a reading club. We went, hey, we, we think maybe this is going to become a church plant, starting with, but it was us, my wife and I just wanted to start a reading club, you know, because that's what we like. We're book nerds. So mm -hmm. I, I think when when people think about a micro church at minimal ecclesiology, this is the bare minimum. It's not saying this is my total ecclesiology, but it's saying, look, you could be a church on the move, but mission, that's what I hear Brian saying. That's what I hear when, when you guys turn people loose, you turn them loose on mission. It's, it's their outward impetus. And I think if churches could understand that this is not 
It's not like you say, oh, we're a micro. Every church model out there could, could adopt the practice of micro church. Not right. so much right. a model, but adopt the practice, the actual activity, the, the, the outward focus of a micro church uh, right. ecclesiology. You could have that. Because you mentioned, like, is it best small? I think, I think if it, you know, you have Acts, right, where they met in temple courts and they met, you know, they're this huge entity, but they were broken down into these smaller missional groups that they met house to house and they just kept multiplying. Like that multiplication was outward focus. And I don't think they would have had that unless they had been meeting house to house. And I think most missional experts, if Daniel was here, he's the smarty pants on this call, right? He's the guy that goes, well, let me give you the statistics of how discipleship movements work, or let me tell you about how this works in Sub-Saharan Africa. He would be the guy that would have all that. But but the data seems to suggest, doesn't it, that the smaller groups are the ones that multiply the fastest. They're the rabbits out there. Yeah. So uh, lest I start preaching, because I'm really excited about this topic. Um, <laughs> to me, this is the topic to be having right now. Um, so I want to ask you a question. Uh, in what ways was the underground ready for the pandemic? And in what ways was it not? I think it took the church as a whole by surprise, right. but I have a feeling there might be a little bit different story with the underground and the way you work and, and how the pandemic affected things. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of like what my wife was saying, it's like, if because we've never really been Sunday centric and Sunday has just always been a tool. So even going back to the things that we were talking about before, it's like, yeah, services, sun, like buildings, budgets, all those things. It's not that you can't have those. But when you have uh, an ecclesial minimum, you say this is the bare minimum of what it means to be church. Everything else is just a tool to serve the, the greater end that you're trying to accomplish. And so Sundays are very much like that for us as well. And so because Sundays have never really been the main thing that we do, and it's been about these smaller communities that are on mission, when you all of a sudden couldn't meet in a large setting and Sundays weren't an option, it was like, okay, that that's fine because we've never really needed that. And even the economic model that we've followed uh, or have done our best to follow, it has never been dependent on Sunday mornings either. So it's not like we're worried about, oh man, donation plates or, you know, tithes or anything like that. That wasn't a concern of ours. Um, and so we were, we were ready in that regard. And it, what was actually interesting is that right before the pandemic hit, we were actually talking about reducing the amount of times we were meeting on Sunday anyway, just because, you know, the way that we've always approached it is that if, you know, those are the churches and those are the missionaries leading the church, that everything that we do has to help them be the church that God has called them to be. And the second that it's no longer serving them the way that it used to, we actually don't hold on to that. We don't need it. We can scrap it. And so we were transitioning Sundays to maybe eight times a year just to kind of check in with each other. Um, and then the pandemic came. And so there, there was that. And what I found was interesting with our leaders, because we actually tried to figure out, okay, how do we help our leaders navigate this time? What are people doing? Are people, you know, thrown off? Are people stopping what they're doing entirely? Are they just transitioning online? Are like, what's happening? And it was pretty even across the board. Like some people just, a lot of the maybe home-based groups transitioned online and just kind of did meetings on Zoom. But a lot of our groups that are maybe a little bit more mission specific and serving some of the more vulnerable populations, they they went into overdrive. Yeah, they so, got busier. <laughs> yeah, so like they were still going out, having their you know grocery distribution. They were still helping single moms like, you know, the guys who work with addicts, they're saying, actually, this is prime time for us because now they're not going to, there's nothing for them to do. So what else are they going to do? They're going to get themselves into trouble. And so they were trying to care for them. And, uh, you know, even people who are like one of our leaders, she just knew, okay, in my neighborhood, there's a whole lot of older people who are probably feeling a really isolated. So she kind of designed this little card uh, and she just put it in her neighbor's mailboxes, just saying, hey, like, if you need groceries or just someone to talk to, I'm your neighbor. I'd let me help you and care for you. And so that like level of resilience, pivoting, imagination, I feel like we were really ready for that. But mm -hmm. um, 
I feel like Zoom fatigue is very real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just the how to best optimize the right. online platform for your meetings. I don't think we. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing is that it got to a point where people were like, I'm zoomed out. Like, I just can't. And which I totally understand. But the hard part about that was that then they weren't talking to each other. Then they weren't, you know, praying with each other. So. Uh, but before that, we did we did do a couple trainings around how to best use Zoom or digital use do digital ministry. You know, as someone who is a coach and I've used Zoom for years, it's like you still can have a really good group discussion. You still can have a very meaning. Like God can still move through the Zoom. You know, we were talking to a leader who um, is in a sister network in was it where is it France? Oh yeah, 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 where they were praying with each other daily and like people were healed. It's like the Holy Spirit yeah. is not confined to us being in the same room for one, but two through a computer. So I think we, you know, we understand that like it is, it is a learn, it was a learning curve for a lot of our leaders, but we're just trying to always encourage them like, okay, good. but we understand the pandemic's real. We don't want to get sick, but how can we still use the tools given to um, serve um, the people we feel called to? So it was like, it's like Tommy said, half and half. Some people felt really like ready for it willing to learn and some people were like i'm just gonna like stay at home not do anything and some people were ready for it but i i think maybe the hardest part is just how long this whole yeah, thing has like lasted you keep thinking it's gonna be over so yeah and so the longer it stretched out the more people were like yeah. okay this is actually getting a lot harder to keep doing this virtual platform or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what have you and so you're looking for moments of inspiration for equipping of coaching and helping them reimagine what is possible right uh, so good so good it's important i i run another podcast uh called the church planner podcast and also one called ministry ninja this is a question we're digging down into right mm-hmm. now is we have a reset button when everyone goes back hear what these guys are saying because that's that's been the focus i've been having is how do you go back and how do you go back different do you say hey we we, we got caught with our pants down as a church you know um we found that we weren't really prepping and equipping people because this Sunday we're going to watch the Super Bowl. And on the Super Bowl, uh, we all know, right, that the, the coaches are important. But they're not the focus of the game. Right. And I think what Underground really has done well is said, you know, the coaches like you guys, Brian, myself and my role, we're not the main event. We're, we're to equip and empower others to get this done. And so that's what's exciting. If if you are envisioning um, church like what you see in Acts 2.42, this is what these guys excel at. And so um, how do you reopen church in a way where it goes back to that? So uh, I'm going to I'm going to take one of our chat questions, um, which is very much along those lines. And it's somebody asking uh, and this is right up your alley. This is what you do nine to five. Uh, or 24-7, or whenever you do, uh, what first steps would you advise for someone wanting to start a micro church? Mm-hmm. So getting down into the nitty-gritty, thinking a little more practically, um, someone comes to you and says, I want to start a micro church. You've mentioned the calling lab. Let's say they figure out their calling, or they haven't mm-hmm. figured out their calling. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, that's a funny question i guess because i guess in part what a person is saying when they're saying i want to start a microchurch it, it i'm assuming there's a, per, a group of people that they feel specifically called to right so like to just come and say i want to start a microchurch well okay that's cool but if you exist for a like if the microchurch is really about existing for a group of people mm-hmm. or trying to bless a wider group of people, who are those people? And not just an issue, right? So like the thing that we're always trying to drive even to our missionaries is that calling, uh, it, it eventually arrives at a name, mm-hmm. right? So you might say, I, I feel really called to do something in regarding housing or something right. like that. And that's fine. That's okay. But eventually that has to translate into Miss Susan, who, uh, whatever, is dealing with whatever sort of uh, financial difficulties or has had whatever loss in her family. And you're trying to mm. get your life to helping her. So eventually it has to arrive at, at some sort of name. So, so again, you need mission at the heart is what you're saying, but not just not just the topical mission. You know, we're going to help kids agent. You, you want to see it translate into, right, who? 
not just the what, but the who. Yeah, exactly. And so I would say, find that person and in not necessarily, I don't know, maybe this is, this is heresy. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but um, yeah, I don't know if the goal necessarily is to go in and try to start the micro church as much as you're trying to be Jesus to those people. And as you're living out your calling, as you're sowing the gospel, maybe the church emerges. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that would be my encouragement um, is to, yeah, who are those people that you're trying to love? Love them and and let God do what he does. Mm-hmm. Let him surprise you a little bit. Um, okay, let me let me stop you there. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to make sure people don't miss that. Because what you're saying is stop thinking grandiose. Mm-hmm. Don't think of starting this event. Start with a person. Mm-hmm. And just one person, right? I, I mean, that, that if you're not... In other words, you don't want to go and got these big ideas going to go to, you're saying, get to know one person, right? Let God use you in one person's life. See where that goes. Did I hear you right on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's that. I mean, imagine that, right? I said, what a novel concept. Right. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Brianna, go ahead. No, no. I think it's the same thing too. Like, you know, um, you know, leading particularly my health coaching business. And I think everyone has to do this when they're trying to target. It's like, I've done an exercise where I've gotten really nitty gritty down and like, who's this person? Where does she live? What is she, what is she interested in? I'm like giving her a name. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know exactly who that is in real life. Right. And so it's like, actually, I want to reach this friend. Like, this is who I feel called to. And so let me just love her. And then there's another person that's like, okay, let's come together and let's love each other and look at Jesus together. And then what's homie saying it builds up. And so I think at the end of the day, it's like, we all want to feel we have a purpose and we have we can impact people's lives, but it starts with one. And if God just says that one for the rest of your life, like be okay with that for one, but two, it's like, he's going to be faithful. If you do have a dream of reaching even more people there, but at the end of the day, we're called to love God and love our neighbor. Right. So let's start loving our neighbor. Um, and then a micro church will happen or may not, may not happen. So one, one of my favorite stories from underground is uh, the group of musicians that get together and they, they produce uh, music for homeless people that, have talent, but not the means to mm-hmm. produce a CD or an album. And they do that. And it was just them bringing, you know, I always think of like stone soup, that old parable where everybody brings what they have to the soup. And it mm-hmm. seems like Jesus is like, Hey, I'll take what you got in in my soup, you know, whatever you got, we'll, we'll check it in there. I mean, you would have never thought, but you can imagine the relationships. I'm sure you guys have a million stories that there's more than just music happening mm-hmm. as it's happening deeper things are happening soul things are happening mm-hmm. um you know people are, are seeing jesus hearing jesus maybe they're coming to know jesus maybe they're not but jesus is being glorified in the yeah. midst of those gatherings um one of the the questions that's come up which is um i like this somebody's asking the ins and outs like uh the the minimal ecclesiology is one aspect of it i'm going to take two and put them together one is, what does a weekly rhythm look like in a microchurch? Um, that, that's one. And then the other one says, are there particular elements like Bible reading, Lord's Supper, prayer, singing of the gathering that needs to happen for it to be a microchurch? How about frequency? There's that question again. Does each microchurch have a designated shepherd leader? So they're, they're asking for you to kind of paint a picture. And I know it's hard, like you said. Uh, Tell me because you're like, "Ah, it's hard to nail down, but um, can you give a little bit of guardrails for that? Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. This might be equally unhelpful, but um, yes, I would say to a certain extent, um, gosh, when talking about microchurches and their rhythms and what they look like, the difficulty is that we have different kinds of microchurches, right? So one of the problems is, um, say you have something like uh, like Central House is one of our more home-based groups and they meet every Sunday at maybe 6.30 p.m. or something like that. They meet weekly and that's kind of their thing. And those uh, particular kind of incub- incubator distributive microchurches, the way that that goes is that there's a way that they meet in one particular space as a, as a house group. Um, but each and every single person has a different missional sphere that they're trying to reach. So there's kind of a second space that they're also concerned about. And really that home space 
is for community, is for, uh, yeah, Bible study, it's uh, holding each other accountable in mission as they do mission in that other space. So somebody might be reaching, uh, I don't know, ultimate frisbee players or they might be reaching their coworkers or their neighbors or what have you and so they're meeting weekly and they just have another space but say something like a little bit more established or depending on what's going on something like a created or a timothy initiative uh, created is our group that works with women coming out of the sex industry timothy initiative is our group that works with uh, men in addiction and that's not just like a once a week thing but with Timothy Initiative, it's like, we we have a house, we live with these guys, we work together. It's mm-hmm. like full on, like our, our lives are integrated with these people. Um, and so what it looks like from a week to week basis really just varies depending on the microchurch itself. Now to go to the question of like worship and, and what are the guardrails around that? This is also not going to be very mm-hmm. helpful, but we we don't really spell that out for them as much as, okay, what is worship for your people, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to do the hard work of contextualizing and figuring out, okay, if I am working with middle school black girls, how am I going to help them encounter the Lordship of Jesus and understand the Lordship of Jesus and hear his voice and learn to obey? And that might be very different then how I'm going to help these women coming out of the sex industry wrestle with the Lordship of Jesus and how to hear his voice and all of that. So it can look like Bible study. It can look like times of prayer, uh, you know, but we, we have to, we let the, the microchurches define that for their people. And I think that's kind of, I mean, if you're a missionary, that's what you have to do anyway, right? Yeah. Is you go to some alternate context and you have to figure out, okay, Yes, the gospel is the gospel, but what is the good news to these people? Right. Um, and so, microchurches have to do that work too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I think there was another question that you had had in there that I, I might have missed, but I know. no, you're hitting it. But I, uh, Brianna, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, too, I think it's like um, a, a good coach. Whether you you're coaching yourself or get someone to do this, like a good coach doesn't actually. What we're trying to say, we're not going to try to tell you what to do. A good coach just says all right, just brings it out. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? It's like this experimentation process. And I think what Tommy's saying, you know, when we go to a new context, we do, we have to be willing to experiment and fail. Like it may not work. So worship, like you might thought, okay, everyone's going to just love sitting together and praying. They may hate it. <laughs> it may totally not work, but it's okay. It's not that you've failed. It's just that you tried something, didn't work, move on. So we need to be more comfortable with just experimentation um, and trying new things. And you're eventually, it may take a while, like it may take months. It may take a year for you to find what works for those people. Like Tommy's saying that any other missionary would do if they're going overseas. I think when we start to see it that way, we start to like give ourselves a little bit more grace and get out there and just see that time is time is, we can't waste time. People need to know the Lord. And the same way we would empower and pray and say, it's okay, just keep reaching them to someone going overseas. We need to do the same thing for ourselves and people here locally in our context. So one of the questions I have is um, from the the chat here, somebody said, um, what I'm hearing sounds a lot like what people also call missional communities. Would this be missional community under another name or are there distinctions? Yeah, so that's a question that we've wrestled with too and have uh, kind of contemplated. I think for us, we say if there's worship, community, and mission happening in the missional community, then it's it's what we would call a microchurch. There's no there's no difference there. Um, yeah, so if that's that's kind of how we play out. So in some places, uh, if they have these missional communities that are living out worship, community, mission, and they're in our city. We'd say, yeah, we love you. How can we serve you? Here's our departments, our services. We are rolling out the red carpet because we want to help you be the thing that you've been called to be. So, um, yeah, so it might be considered missional communities um, and just another name. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe I've got the wrong take on this, but I, I, I think from my understanding, and I'm not the expert on what microchurch is or a missional community, um, I had my own weird thing going on in Europe, but 
One of the things that, that it seems like I'm picking up from underground is whereas a missional community might be saying something like, we are a model. We call it not mega church, not this. We are not your local. We are a missional community. It, it has typically been associated with a model. Whereas again, a micro church, when I, when I hear Brian talk about the underground, it's almost like a community of communities. There's a, there's a, almost like an umbrella that is the underground and these micro churches are, they're in the same city. They're in the same space. Not saying you don't have a broader network. Like you have, you know, uh, underground Kansas city underground, you have other undergrounds, but it sounds to me like it's, it's almost like a collective of um, missional communities, giving micro church a little bit more of a, of a distinction like the acts two or even acts five model in the temple courts or bigger gatherings and then house to house. Would that be a fair assessment or am I, am I getting something, am I picking up something you're not laying down? No, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, maybe the, and I can't speak to all of it cause I don't totally know everything that's happening with the, the missional community world, but I know in certain circles, maybe it, there is a very prescribed way of how you go about doing missional communities where, yeah, it's this flow of service almost. So whether that's dinner, Bible study, what have you. And it's kind of, I don't know, that's the thing that's a missional community. Whereas for us in microchurches, it's, yeah, sure, that can be it. But like we said, it can also be, mm-hmm. um, you know, something else entirely. It can, like, there's a guy who... Uh, does PB and J's for the homeless who, um, you know, there's another group of people who do outreach to strip club bouncers. So not even just like the strippers themselves, but to the bouncers. And we say, okay, well that thing you're doing, that is also church. Um, so that, that might be like a, another little distinction there. And so what happens too, for us is, you know, because you get this collection of these, you know, micro churches these smaller communities on mission the the bigger thing the underground ecosystem the umbrella just exists to serve those things Mm -hmm. it's uh Mm -hmm. yeah it's like we are the life of a micro church and being in a micro church necessitates this larger structure Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of how we've done our best to approach things yeah that's good. It reminds me of something that Neil Cole talked about because I planted in Long Beach years ago in the same neighborhood. Uh, did not know that was Neil Cole's uh, area downtown, but he used to mention, because you mentioned earlier, what's the good news to these people? And he mentioned how, you know, some people in his church had noticed that there was a nightlife out on the streets of Long Beach at like 2, 3 a.m. And so they started a church in a parking lot, like in a grocery store parking lot, um, like a, a not really a church service, but a gathering that uh, that was good news to those people because maybe they had day night reversal, severe alcoholism or mental illness or whatever. But that's where they met because that was good news to them, that someone met them where they're at. And that's what I kind of hear you guys saying. One of the, the questions that's come in. And again, I'm going to I'm going to combine two. Um, how are people equipped to start a micro church and how does the funding model work for micro churches? Yeah. Um, I just have a funding model. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's two sides of it. So maybe where the underground is a little bit different is, um, you know, maybe in a little bit more of a, a traditional setting, it would be, you go through this class, you sign up for this training And then once you've kind of proven yourself as part of this training, then we release you to go then start your microchurch. Whereas for us, we don't do that. We say, okay, you come to us with an idea. You come to us with a heart for something. You feel called to this thing. Yeah, go do that thing. And part of what we do is then we'll come alongside you as you're doing that work and do our best to help you think through that. So we provide coaching uh, so we have a number of uh, experienced microchurch leaders who've been doing this for decades and uh, can ask really good questions and kind of help people kind of connect dots that they they didn't see before. And then part of what we've also done is we have different training platforms and, and spaces for leaders to, yeah, figure out, okay, 
what am I not thinking about either in terms of leadership or my own discipleship or how am I, how can I be more effective in creating disciples within this uh, small community that Jesus has allowed me the privilege of, of shepherding. Uh, and so that, so it's kind of a, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this is going to sound really weird to say, yeah, we don't necessarily have like a, a bare minimum, like you must know this before you go do this thing. Right. But it, it's very intentional. It's like, no, because we think that part of what happens as you're on the mission field mm-hmm. is that you learn very quickly what you do and do not know. And we'll right. be there with you to, to help you navigate that time. And so, yeah, okay. we have uh, elders in training classes. We have all all sorts of stuff. But um, the main thing is, okay, we're going to point you guys to those at the end. So stay tuned for that. Brianna, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, again, I think don't underestimate the power of just one person or a couple people walking you through, like the organic nature of like mentorship or, you know, you know, so for example, if like I know Tommy started a microchurch before, I'm like, Tommy, can you just tell me what to do? And we check in once a week. And I say what I tried, did it work? And he helped me just think through why it didn't work. So at this point, we have a lot of great trainings and platforms, but I think in the beginning, just having someone to hold you accountable. And even if you have a co a co-leader, which is even amazing, someone who's going to do mm. it with you debriefing with one another, there's a reason why Jesus sent people out in twos. Right. Um, but I always love this story. And then I'll talk a little bit about the funding is I just keep going back to the Samaritan woman where, I mean, she just literally went back to her town and was like, Hey, could this be the Christ? Like she didn't think about what should I say? I mean, all these people hate me because I've done all these things. She's like, she just did it. And obviously that worked this time, but you know, just go ahead and try something. We're so afraid of trying and not doing well. And we just need to get past that. Just try God is faithful, you know? Um, and then, yeah, the funding structure. So I mean, so the underground is funded through the, the organization itself is funded through a variety of streams. And so um, there's not one thing in particular, but a lot of the micro churches actually don't need money to run. And so that's one thing we need to um, get. I think when you go down to the small um, people opening up their home, people just all bringing in food like that doesn't actually require any um you know, any money. Now, sometimes those people do want to give. So then it's the leader helping them figure out where they're, where that generosity should go to. Um, but the organization itself, um, you know, we do take um, kind of, I guess, a general donation pot where the microchurch leaders are like, we want to give to you guys as you serve us. And so they, there's a giving from that point of view. The common purse. The common purse, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, some of our staff individually fundraise and even some microchurch leaders who are in it kind of part-time, full-time fundraise as well. Uh, you know, we do uh, some of our uh, media uh, and finance services as well are serving other ministries around, you know, the country and the world. And so they charge just a little bit for that. And that's a form of fundraising and helping the organization run. And then, yeah, some different trainings we do, we'll just charge a little bit. Um, but what's really cool is that say, okay, the micro churches are like, we give to you so you can serve us. But some of those micro churches do need money for some things like if they're always going to get meals for the homeless, maybe they need to get a little bit of money. So they um, request grants um, from the organization and the organization will give a grant for the year and so forth. So it's a variety of streams. But again, in the beginning, I think just know that you can run a church, a micro church without a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, what's kind of cool is that, yeah, anyone can start a micro church for free. I mean, right. really, you, you can start plan a church for free mm-hmm. uh, why people attach money to it i have no idea mm-hmm. but but what i love is that brian is a gifted fundraiser because he had this this vision of yeah. um uh you know kind of having um this this empowering as many people as he could mm-hmm. and so it wasn't like he was out to build his own his own thing right yeah. which again is why he's he's kind of taking the background in underground because it's really not about him it's about others but what i love about brian is he's raising funds to help empower these things you know and, and i'm sure other people are raising funds too but right um but that's that's encouraging um hey we're we're out of time and uh we're i'm i'm sure we're i'm getting more questions we're not out of questions but um uh, we, you know, if you guys, uh, have any final thoughts, I mean, we've got about five minutes. So if you each want to take a, a minute, um, and maybe share something and we'll tell people where they can get 
a hold of um, some of your resources, definitely uh, the podcast. It's just called Microchurch, right? Yeah. Uh, Microchurch is, yeah. Microchurch is, all right. So quick, go start the Microchurch podcast. You can't. Right. Right. So uh, micro churches and, uh, you know, but if, if you want to just give a kind of like a cap, anything that's kind of burning on your heart that you haven't been able to say yet. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, anyone who knows the underground or it's just for us, it's, it's not actually about the underground or even micro churches as much as we love the underground or micro churches. It's, it's like for us, it's, it's all about Jesus. We, we really wanted to be mm-hmm. his people and to be with him. And so yeah. if he were to call us to, I don't know, close it all down, burn it all down, we would in a heartbeat because it's about him. And so for us, it, it, it starts with Christology. And, mm. and if there's anything that like, I don't know, people can learn from us or that I feel like is the best thing to learn from us. It's that it's, you know, is Jesus Lord of his church? And, and if so, then yeah. How do we connect people to him? The, the good shepherd, it's John 10, you know? Mm-hmm. And so rather than us telling them what to do, help them hear his voice and, and, and let's move aside so that they can actually do that. And so that's, that's me. But. Yeah. I think for me, it's just, again, is really helping people learn to listen and want to listen to Jesus more than anything. Because when we listen to Jesus, he will guide us. He will call us out and he will tell us when that calling has shifted a bit. And so I think we're just so reliant. I know I struggle with this sometimes, like getting approval or permission when the Lord has already given us permission and approval. We just need to listen to it and trust it. So I think the best thing you could do for yourself and for people who you're leading is to help them listen to Jesus. Yeah. I love that. As as you're saying that, my mind is just going towards uh, the Apostle Paul who turns up at Jerusalem mm-hmm. years before they send Barnabas up and says, hey, I met Jesus on the road and he says we're supposed to reach the Gentiles. That's my ministry. And they just look at each other like, yeah, uh, that's yeah. cool. We go do that, brother. <laughs> and uh, 11 years later, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sending Paul up there uh, or Barnabas up there and he goes, I need to go get Paul. He knew this years ago. Yeah. And we wouldn't let him do it. So he just got on with it. So right. I love that. But hey, guys, uh, definitely um, check out everything that Brian Sanders writes um, and also check out everything that the underground does. I just want to give a little shout out. I remember talking to Alan Hirsch a couple years ago and he said right now the coolest thing going in America is the underground. So <laughs> it's not about the underground. You would be missing uh, the importance. It's about the spirit of God ripping through you to show Jesus in your community who he is. So guys, I want to thank you for coming on, sharing that heart. Um, where can people get resources to hear more about what you guys provide? Gosh. Yeah. So I mean, tampaunderground.com that has, uh, there's a whole tab devoted to resources. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for the calling lab, you can go to callinglab.com. That's uh, I mean, there's a free option and as well as a pay 20 bucks and get the booklet that goes with it. Um, yeah, I mean, anything that Brian has written would be wonderful to, to use. In fact, he's supposed to be having another book coming out soon on calling. And so looking forward to that as much as anyone else who reads his stuff. I'm, I'm also looking forward to that. Um, yeah, any, anything I'm missing? Yeah, and just the podcast. I mean, you know, I've helped you know, put it together to, and Tommy's obviously our host for it. It's just going to be a great resource of real stories too. So the next series we're going to have actually micro churches sharing their experience too. So, so good. And if you're somebody who's like, maybe you're not necessarily trying to start, maybe you mm-hmm. have started a micro church, but uh, you're looking to start a similar kind of movement in your city. We do have uh, a movements department that has worked with leaders both uh, in the U.S. and globally trying to help them think through some of this, this networked church stuff. And they do a bunch of intensives and stuff to really support you there. So um, Stacey Gaskins, Jeremy Stevens helps with that. So undergroundnetwork.org would be yeah. a place. Sign, sign up for their newsletter. You mentioned Stacey Gaskins. She sends out a newsletter and yeah. uh, mention that, you know, um, for, for uh, I mean, sorry, I'll mention that. <laughs> I don't want to it like that. I've been up since four. I've had a little one in the in, in surgery early this morning. So oh, uh, she's all good. But, uh, you know, hey, guys, there is a great way to help mobilize your people. And this is our uh, real quick offer from Exponential. If you want to mobilize more people, if you're a church and network this spring, you can host 
an exponential roundtable. And it's going to be a way for you to help people accelerate multiplication within your network. So head on over to multiplication.org slash hosts. We want to empower you to bring this with local leaders on a local level, addressing your local issues and seeing what you can do to empower others to be a part of the solution. A lot of what you've heard here today is kind of the spirit in which Exponential operates in. We want to see every gift uh, activated to the glorification of Christ in your community. So thanks again for joining us today. I've been Peyton Jones, your host, and I've been joined by Brianna and Tommy Wilkerson from The Underground. Thanks again for joining us on behalf of Exponential. My guests, thank you today. And thank you to the audience. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having us. Thank you.